growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Being a fully devoted follower of Jesus means that we begin to learn how to think biblically. We talk a lot about that as well, thinking biblically and making my life decisions and life choices based on that very fact. Abortion, euthanasia, stem cell research, these are certainly hot button topics in our world today. How are followers of Jesus to approach subjects such as these? What does the Bible have to say about these and other ethical issues dealing with life? These are some of the questions we're going to tackle today in this special edition of Crosswalk. The issues that we're talking about today will not be easy in some cases. And that's one of the things we want you to understand. Uh, What we'll talk about today is not designed to to make anybody feel uncomfortable or make anybody feel bad or anything else. But again, to help us understand that if we're followers of Jesus, we have to begin to think biblically. What does God say on a subject? Not what do I think or hope or, or somebody else says or the media. What does God say? I'm Rick Freeman. Sanctity of human life. It's a term that most of us have heard of, but what does it really mean? What does it really matter? Well, today, Pastor Clay is going to sit down with our resident ethicist, Dr. Eric Clary, to discuss some of these issues that are so important for our culture. One of the ideas that Pastor Clay is always teaching us here at Cross Culture is something he calls the so what principle. Gaining biblical knowledge doesn't make any difference if it doesn't affect the decisions and actions of our lives. And today's roundtable discussion is designed to help each of us understand the importance of ethics in our daily decision-making process. Thanks for joining us today for this special crosswalk. Sort of a different service today uh, in some aspects, and it is. Uh, In a way, we kind of have a very special uh, non-guest guest guest with us uh, today. Uh, It is... uh, In churches all over America today, uh, what is known as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's a time when when, uh, churches across America, evangelical churches across America, uh, set aside a time to recognize that that life is precious and valuable and it is a gift from God and and, uh, and just recognizing that. And and that's true, obviously. We're going to talk some about that uh, today. Uh, if, you, if you've hung around cross-culture very long, you know that, that one of my uh, favorite sayings is uh, what I refer to as the, the so what uh, philosophy of, uh, of ministry and studying. Uh, as I often say, so what if you know this or you've read this or whatever? How does it impact your life? How does it matter to you? How is it making a difference in your life? Uh, we desire very much here at Cross Culture to be about making fully devoted followers of Jesus. Uh, now, we're, all of us are in process. All of us are in flux and learning what that means and what that looks like and, and, and everything that goes with that. But, but being a fully devoted follower of Jesus means that we begin to learn how to think biblically. We, we talk a lot about that as well, thinking biblically and making my life decisions and life choices based on that very fact. So today, uh, we're doing sort of a, uh, a conversation uh, between uh, my, myself, y'all, and myself, and uh, Dr. Eric Clary. Eric Clary uh, is a member here at Cross Culture, faithfully attends, but... Um, I just, I just, we just had this idea about maybe taking some time and letting Eric share some thoughts uh, in this area uh, so that we can think biblically in this process of becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now, um, he, he didn't want to do this. He hates this. I don't know. Where is Eric? Is he in here yet? 
There he is. Okay, there he is. Eric, come on up. You, they might as well see you while, while, I'm, while I'm talking about you. <laughs> um, you know, I, Eric, if you know him, he's just the most humble guy in the world. But uh, I asked him, I said, I, send, me, I, I want, I, send me your credentials. Send me, you know, your, your degrees. Send me some of the you know, awards. Because if you know Eric, then you see him around here every day and you think, oh, yeah, he's the guy that plays keyboard. Uh, and he's one of the elders of the church and, and that sort of thing. And you may not know uh, some of his uh, background and, and what he does. Or if you're new here, you certainly uh, don't know uh, that uh, much about Eric. And so, you know, I thought, well, I, you know, I know everything about Eric. But when, when I said this, I, I know all this stuff. So, but, but I want you to hear a little about it. And then, and then we're going to get to it this morning. But um, if you don't know, uh, Dr. Eric Clary um, served for 10 years as experimental surgeon, faculty researcher, and associate director of endosurgical research at uh, Duke University Medical Center. In Durham, uh, he holds a, a DVM and an MS degree from Kansas State University. Um, he is the author of several uh, scientific uh, publications. Um, a few years ago, Eric just really sensed that, that God was moving in his life and, and calling him to step out in, into a new area of, of, uh, of service for him. And so uh, already a, a, a surgeon, a doctor, he went back to school, attended Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and simultaneously, Trinity International University is the only guy that I've ever met that, that was simultaneously working on three master's degrees at the same time. Uh, he graduated in 2008 with a Master of Divinity uh, from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and an MA in Christian Ethics. Uh, in 2009, he graduated with an MA in Bioethics from uh, Trinity International University. Um, Listen, it's just, uh, he, he, he was awarded the Jake, J. Lake Williams Award in Christian Ethics from Southeastern, very distinguished award in 2008. Um, he graduated summa cum laude from uh, Trinity. He was awarded two scholarships in recognition of his academic achievement and uh, the, his uh, future promise in the field of bioethics. Uh, he was selected to deliver a lecture at the Bioethics Consultation Group of the Evangelical Theological Society. That's where all the brainiacs attend each year. Um, he, he, was, he was asked uh, to speak at that. And all I can tell you this, that's unheard of for a guy who, who, who doesn't yet have, well, he may have a doctorate, does not yet have his Ph.D. Um, he uh, was asked to speak, uh, deliver a couple of papers. Uh, he's delivered numerous lectures and been published uh, numerous times. He's currently now uh, in, in the last year or year and a half, depending on how long it takes him to write it, finishing his PhD in the field of uh, ethics and I think particularly in bioethics. Um, now, here's what all that, all that means. He's a real smart dude. You know? <laughs> all I he's just real smart. He's real smart. <laughs> but he's got a, a humble heart. And, and I wanted you to hear that because I want you to understand that the issues that we're talking about today uh, will not be easy in some cases. And that's one of the things we want you to understand. Uh, what we'll talk about today is not designed to, to make anybody feel uncomfortable or make anybody feel guilty. I'll just be honest with you. When you deal in bioethics and certainly on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, uh, we're going to talk about that, that, that topic of abortion. And it's not designed to make anybody feel bad or anything else. But to, again, to help us understand that if we're followers of Jesus, we have to begin to think biblically. What does God say? On a subject, not what do I think or hope or or somebody else says or the media. What does God say? I'm not trying to steal any of your thunder. So um, I, I'm just I'm just uh, here, here. I'm, I'm the Dean Martin to your Jerry Lewis. So there we go. <laughs> Let me sure say one other thing place. about Eric. 
He's been married for 17 years to Ashlyn. And I just want to say that it's not easy for a wife to endure a man working on three degrees simultaneously, working as, as a veterinary surgeon also, and all the service that he puts in, um, it shows that her heart is for her husband and for her home and uh, desire to honor the Lord as, as well. So uh, they have one daughter, uh, Brianne, and um, so I just wanted to introduce Eric that way. You may already know him, but uh, Eric, we, we are honored that you're part of Cross Culture, and we're going to talk about some issues today uh, that deal in this area of uh, bioethics. Uh, you were given an outline today um, in, on the back side of your information sheet with 10 questions. We will not begin to get to all 10 of these questions today. But we gave you these 10 questions because, number one, we are prepared to deal with them. But number two, if this goes over well and, and you find this engaging and interesting, we want you to see some of the other subject matter that can be uh, dealt with, and, and we'll do this again, um, uh, you know, at, at some time. We'll get up here and do this again if it's, if it's something that, that you enjoy and think, man, that was really helpful to me because we're trying to make fully devoted followers of Jesus. So, uh, Eric, let's, let's just start uh, today uh, with this, this very first idea, this idea of, of maybe, you know, we say that term, we toss that a lot, but, uh, but what does it really mean when we say sanctity of human life? Sanctity of human life. Can you hear me? Well, very good. First, Clay, let me just say thank you for your uh, very gracious introduction. The words uh, beyond the pale uh, come to mind uh, <laughs> much more uh, than, than necessary, but thank you very much. And Thanks uh, just for the opportunity to um, uh, meet together in this uh, kind of informal uh, setting and, and talk about some things that uh, certainly are, are near and dear to my heart as God has uh, called us in, in this direction in uh, the field of bioethics. Uh, but uh, this is, uh, as I think as you intimated, uh, it's not intended to be some academic discussion, but it's actually a discussion of some issues that are front and center, front and center in our culture and perhaps many uh, here in this body, uh, I suspect a body of this size, uh, folks have been touched in one way or the other by one or more of these issues that we may uh, talk about. So thank you uh, very much just for the opportunity to be here. Uh, the term sanctity of human life, what does that mean? Well, in a nutshell, really what it means is uh, it's a re- reference to the dignity and value that human life has, and that it has in particular because that is uh, the way of our Creator. And I think as we uh, look to understand, you know, what is the sanctity of human life and uh, how does that impact our thinking on some of these issues that we'll be talking about, it's critical that we start, I think, at uh, the, uh, the most important uh, place. And if you have your Bible, uh, turn to uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. As we think about the sanctity of human life, what is it that gives human life value? Uh, It's critical that we uh, start at the right place. If we don't get the starting point uh, right, then we're going to find our trajectory uh, way off. Uh, So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I'll be reading out of the NIV, uh, so pardon me, Clay. Uh, But here's here's how it reads. Then God said, let us, note the plural there, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Human life has particular value 
has a very special value, in particular because we have been made in the image uh, of God. And so when we speak about the sanctity of human life, really we are talking about our acknowledgement of God and the fact that God has chosen in his wisdom to make creatures, to make us specifically in his image. So isn't that then, I guess kind of connected to that, is it one of the arguments, well, all life is sacred? Isn't all life Sacred. That's a very good point. And uh, first, you know, I would, I would hone in on the word sacred. Uh, you know, we need to be careful in our terminology. And in its very restricted sense, sacred uh, means worthy of worship. And in that understanding, then we recognize that only God is truly worthy of worship. And so I'm not trying to set you up here, Claire. I know we talked about these questions and we worded them, and I apologize, but as I was thinking about that, uh, we need to be very careful with our terminology. Life is, is, uh, is valued, and its value uh, derives from the fact that God has made us in his image, but uh, life is not to be worshipped. God is to be worshipped. So maybe the better way to uh, phrase the question might be, well, isn't, life, uh, isn't all life equally valuable? Uh, and certainly there are many in our culture who are promoting that message uh, and there's a number of permutations. Uh, one that uh, folks get, uh, particularly if they're educated in the biological sciences, uh, are that human life is just an extension of animal life. We're animals, maybe more evolved, so the saying goes. But really, we're just uh, animals. And so Christians need to think very carefully uh, about that message. The first thing I would uh, say if, in response to that question, isn't all life uh, equally valuable, is, uh, number one, we can affirm that all of God's creation is good. And, you know, as we read through the Genesis account, six times God pronounces uh, aspects of his creation to be good. And this is before humans enter the scene. So all of God's creation uh, is good. And so we, we as Christians, we can affirm that. And so we really have no beef with those who say, you know, well, we ought to uh, value uh, elements of God's creation. We you ought know, to be good stewards. We ought to be it. good stewards. We ought to respect the environment. Uh, we ought to uh, kindly care for our animals. So yeah, uh, all of God's creation is good, but there's something very specific, something very singular about human life. And so God uh, tells us in his word, well, he, he created us in his image. And that fact uh, translates into something uh, very valuable. There is value to human life that is of a different category, if you will, than the value of, say, animal life. And one, one place that we can see that iterated in God's word is in Genesis chapter 9. God is, uh, Genesis 9, uh, verse 6, God has uh, uh, wiped out uh, the uh, earth with a flood. He's preserved Noah and the animals uh, in the ark. Noah comes off of the boat, and God enters into a covenant with Noah. And in particular, in uh, 9.6, after God has told Noah that, Noah, uh, I'm giving you the animals for food, God is very, partic- uh, very specific here. He says, well, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And he gives us a reason. The reason is, for the, in the image of God, has God made them, or has God made man. So human life is valuable and is to be protected, we're told, because specifically we're made in God's image. 
and that is said of no other creature in God's creation other than human beings. So we protect human life, we uphold it, because uh, we are, in effect, worshiping and recognizing the image of God. And so, uh, what exactly does that mean? Well, God gives us more direction in his word of what it means to protect uh, human life. And I would like to just take a couple moments, if I could, just to address that before we move into uh, the next uh, question. Sure. Most of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. Uh, Many of us probably have seen the movie, Charlton Heston uh, as Moses. Uh, It's a great movie. Love to watch it, usually every Easter. Well, uh, the Ten Commandments are essentially uh, God's uh, uh, deliverance of his moral law, his moral requirements for human beings. And in the Ten Commandments, uh, there are ten Uh, The first four uh, relate primarily to our relationship with God. The latter six are primarily uh, concerned with our relationship with one another, with fellow human beings. And so the sixth commandment, God's very clear. He says, you know, thou shalt not murder. It's important to recognize that God is saying, uh, is not saying thou shalt not kill. There are uh, certain instances where killing is justified, uh, ironically, in support or in the effort to protect uh, human life. So uh, the commandment is thou shalt not murder. And that is uh, that particular word, uh, that Hebrew word, rasa, uh, means uh, maliciously uh, with intent to kill. It's deliberate and it's with malice. But there are other kinds of killing that are also wrong. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, uh, God uh, uh, commands uh, the Israelites, he says, look, when you build a house, Uh, Make sure you put a a parapet or a railing around the top of your house or the roof. Back in those days, folks didn't have porches. They actually went up on their roof. Uh, That was kind of their porch. And God said, you know, put a railing around that roof so that no one falls off. Because if someone falls off, then you're guilty of that bloodshed. So uh, negligence that leads to homicide is also an offense uh, in God's sight. So human life is valuable. We're to protect it. We're certainly not to uh, uh, intend uh, uh, the death of of another uh, and uh, carry that out uh, with malice uh, nor with uh, negligence. So yes, human life uh, and animal life, uh, both are to be be respected, but human life in particular is of a value that demands our protection. God says in uh, Genesis 9-3, he tells Noah, you know, I'm giving you the animals for food. And so that carries on to this very day. Uh, it's not necessarily a sin to eat meat, but even as we take animal life, we still respect it and we thank God uh, for it. But there's something very particular about human life that demands uh, our um, commitment to uh, protect it and to preserve it. So, uh, and I may have addressed this some even in the introduction, but why does any of it matter? I mean, to discuss by things, but what... How does it matter to our lives? Sure. Uh, you know, why does it, why should we concern ourselves with the, with the sanctity of human life? Uh, well, first of all, I would say that, you know, basically from the beginning, certainly from the fall, uh, human life has been under attack. Satan essentially attacks uh, human life uh, in attempting Adam and Eve. Uh, we know the consequences of their sin, which is the introduction of death into God's good creation. Uh, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, you know the story. Uh, Cain kills his brother Abel uh, deliberately and uh, with, uh, with malice, uh, jealousy. Um, 
so we've had murder from the beginning, and you know, human history is rife with uh, with uh, accounts of uh, murder. We have murder, we have unjust wars, uh, genocide, you name it. So in a very broad context, in every culture, human life is under attack. Specifically, when we talk about uh, bioethics, uh, there are also several areas, several issues uh, before our culture where human life is under attack. Uh, most of us are aware of uh, the issue of abortion. Uh, it's uh, been, I guess, what, 38 years since Roe v. Wade uh, was uh, handed down by the U.S. Supreme Court that essentially legalized medical killing. Uh, and since that time, it has been a battle to defend uh, the uh, right of the unborn uh, to live. Abortion is, is an issue. Uh, more, uh, uh, more and more, uh, particularly in the last 10 years, we have the issue of euthanasia. Uh, the notion that, you know, once one's life, you know, reaches a certain quality that society or whoever deems, uh, you know, uh, not worth living, then we ought to just, uh, you know, uh, have the doctor give them some uh, pills to end their life or whatever. Euthanasia is an issue. Human embryonic stem cell research. Certainly we saw that. Uh, uh, it was very much an issue uh, four years ago. Uh, and then during the presidential uh, campaign, uh, the notion that we can uh, take uh, uh, human life at, at its earliest point and use that uh, uh, basically as an instrument or a tool for our own uh, health or our own betterment. Uh, so there are a number of issues that we need to be concerned about. You know, with abortion, uh, since 1973, it's estimated that somewhere around 50 million uh, infants have been, uh, have been aborted, uh, elective uh, abortion. Uh, I just read uh, recently... Uh, the city of New York uh, released, uh, released a report, uh, and they, uh, they took the uh, statistics from the various uh, um, uh, doctors and hospital centers and looked at uh, the number of pregnancies overall that were reported in the, in the city of New York, as well as uh, the number of abortions. And uh, tragically, 41% of pregnancies uh, ended in elective abortion in the city of New York. That's almost half. It's staggering. Uh, staggering. So uh, clearly human, human life is under assault, and uh, it doesn't behoove the people of God simply to turn a blind eye to it. And uh, so we need to address it. Number one, within the body, we need to, I think, inform the people of God about what's going on. And then number two, equip them to, uh, to respond in, in a way that honors uh, God, to know the truth and to live out uh, the truth. So on all those various subjects that, that, you, that you touched on and, and plenty more as well, mm-hmm. what then becomes the basis, and I know, again, I did address this a little bit in the beginning, but what becomes our basis for how we think about that type of, of subject matter? Right. Uh, you know, how is it that we're going to go about making decisions about these issues, whether it's abortion, euthanasia, uh, whatever? Uh, you know, frankly, I, th- I think that's probably the most important question uh, that we can address uh, today. I know we'll, we'll get into some specifics, hopefully, uh, on, the, on the issues. But uh, if we don't get this right, then essentially we've uh, just uh, rendered a prescription for failure, for moral failure. Uh, so we need to, uh, as Christians, we need to... Um, understand very clearly how it is that we go about making these decisions. And the bottom line is that Scripture must be our guide. You know, uh, human intuition, feelings, uh, emotions, uh, human reason, those things are all part of our, uh, our constituency. They're important. 
sometimes uh, those emotions and intuitions serve us very well because God has equipped us all with a conscience. And basically, God has written his law in our hearts. And so there are some things where we don't have to sit and think a, a long time about, you know, is this wrong or not? And you know the feeling. You know, if you're uh, moving in a direction away from God, you're, uh, you know, entertaining sin. You know, conscience is saying there's a problem there, there's a problem there, there's a problem there. But you all know how it works. Sometimes we can rationalize. We can uh, suppress our conscience, if you will, and find a good reason why we ought to uh, move off into the uh, path of sin. And so conscience is not infallible. But what is infallible is God's word. And God specifically gave us a scripture to reveal himself to us and certainly to reveal his plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ is the center of scripture. But within Scripture as well, God has given us his moral requirements, you know, what it is that God requires of us uh, to, uh, to live as he intends. And there are a couple Scriptures I'd like to bring uh, uh, to everyone's attention. And uh, first, uh, I would uh, point out Micah 6.8. Uh, in, uh, in that uh, book in the Old Testament, God uh, declares uh, through Micah, Micah says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so to walk humbly with God means that we submit ourselves to his authority, to God's notions uh, of what is right and what is wrong. And that we then seek out to live by his grace, uh, those, uh, uh, those particular requirements. In Matthew uh, chapter 22, Jesus is interacting uh, with a, uh, a religious leader. And the religious leader asks uh, Christ, he says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Okay, so God gave the law uh, to, uh, uh, to the Israelites. Uh, the Ten Commandments was uh, essentially the core, but God gave a number of, of other laws that essentially helped the, uh, uh, were to help the Israelites understand how those Ten Commandments were to play out in their life. And so this uh, religious leader is, is quizzing Jesus. You know, he's giving Jesus a test, I guess. You know, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And here's how Jesus replies, and I'm sure you've heard it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all, with all your mind. This is, Christ says, the first and greatest commandment. So love God, but he doesn't stop there, does he? Right? What does he say? He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets, meaning all of God's moral revelation, all of God's revelation, Christ says, hang on these two commandments. Right? And so God has given us his word, and God tells us, right, lest we be guided off by our, uh, by our consciences that have been uh, uh, raged with uh, sin, God gives us his requirements. Love God and love neighbor. And, you know, if we just stop there, uh, we could uh, very easily find ourselves wading off into uh, sin. God gives us actually much more direction than that. But if you want to sum up what God's moral revelation is, that's it. Love God and love neighbor. So love of God, I would say, entails obedience. You know, there is a, it's a heresy that has been there basically from the uh, earliest beginnings of Christianity. The notion that, well, because God forgives, right? Well, I can just kind of live my life however I want. Because, you know, God's going to forgive me. So I'm just going to live my life, you know, how I want. And wow, you know, hey, if I sin a whole lot, that means God's going to forgive me a whole lot. And that just shows God's grace even more. 
right? Yeah. Paul himself had to deal with that heresy, and it's a heresy that has, uh, has persisted uh, from uh, the In earliest one, beginning of the church. One way or another. It's yeah, started absolutely. antinomian and then just move forward. That's, a, that's exactly and right. I just think that, that kind of feeds on my, my flesh too, right? I mean, it's like it, I can not only rationalize it, but it makes me, you know, think, oh, I'm okay with God. I'm actually glorifying God if I, if I just sin some more yeah. to be involved in this. That's right. And, you know, Paul says, you know, that's nonsense. And uh, here, here's specifically what he says in the book of Romans. You know, he, he notes, you know, well, why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result, right? So, you know, Paul's enemies were saying, yeah, man, he's such a libertine. He's saying, just go ahead and sin, you know, so that good, you know, can come out. So God can be glorified just by the bestowal of his grace. Uh, here's what Paul says. He says, those who say that kind of thing, quote, uh, their condemnation is deserved, right? And so uh, that is, it's a pernicious lie, Right. Because uh, if, we, uh, if we go to Scripture and really, really ask, well, what does Scripture say about how I ought to live my life? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus says in John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. And so the Christian life actually is one of obedience. It's interesting that, you know, Paul in his, in his uh, letter to the Romans you know, Paul is addressing this relationship of God's grace and God's law. And he, he notes that, uh, you know, the, the error of the uh, Jews was to think that they could be good enough to obey God's law and thus merit uh, salvation, to merit God's good grace. And Paul says, no, 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 uh, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All right. But God gave his law actually for the good of all people. And it's only when we come uh, to know Christ and we're redeeming in Christ that we can come to see that God's law is actually very good and that ought not to surprise us. You know, I mean, if God is perfectly good, then certainly he desires what's best for those whom he's created in his own image. And so God's commands actually are very good. Can you imagine, I was thinking the other day, can you imagine a society that is constructed on the negation, on the denial of the Ten Commandments, in particular, you know, from Mm -hmm. Commandment 5, which is honor your parents, right, all the way up through 10. You know, can you imagine a society run on uh, the the opposite of God's commands? You know, total anarchy, chaos, clearly not uh, for our betterment. God's commands actually are very good for us. It's like, I mean, I I wouldn't compare us to like cows, but if uh, you've got to feel a, a fence alongside of a, ma- a major highway and all the cows say, we're not listening to that rancher. We're busting out and playing in the highway. You know, who, who, would, who would do that? You know, I mean, the cows, the, the fence is there for their good. And I, I tell people a lot of times, they think of God and his commandments as some sort of cosmic killjoy. Oh, he's just trying to keep us down. But doesn't every loving parent put restrictions on what their children do or where they go for their good, whether they understand it or not. Absolutely. And so, you know, Christ, uh, you know, is, is very clear, you know, uh, to uh, obey his commands is to demonstrate love for God. It's a reciprocal love. We're saying God loved us. He gave us these commandments. And so when we seek to obey them out of love, uh, it is a, a matter of uh, worship uh, to God. And, and John, in his uh, first letter, uh, in First John, uh, he, he comments very clearly, he says, you know, 
these commandments, they're not burdensome. Mm-hmm. They're actually for, for our good. Yeah. Well, well, let's get, if we can, and I know there's a lot we can say about that, but let's get to at least one of the specific areas. Great. How are we doing have, on time, by time the way? Morning. Uh, it's rapidly depleting. Yeah. So, um, okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, l- right. particularly in the area of abortion, what, what does the Bible say about abortion? Um, excellent question. And, uh, you know, I would, uh, first of all, uh, say, you know, maybe we ought to start with the question of what does uh, the Bible say about children? Uh, because, uh, you know, that, that's critical. You know, uh, Scripture is very clear. Uh, children are a gift from God. They're not an evil to be purged. They're not to be viewed as an obstacle to our life plans. Uh, they are a gift from God, and they are to be honored uh, as such. And uh, so I think that's the place where we, where we start. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, uh, we need to recognize that simply because something is prescribed in law, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right thing to do. You know, in human, human law. Yeah, in human law. That, yeah, exactly. Just, just because uh, the Supreme Court renders a decision doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. You know, we just got done celebrating Martin Luther King Day, and I think about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, the fact that he recognized that the law was immoral. Mm-hmm. And that uh, he said, you know, the law's got to change. Mm-hmm. Right? And so just because, uh, you know... Uh, uh, you know, nine people in robes render a decision doesn't necessarily mean that it's binding on the Christian conscience. And certainly with respect to Roe v. Wade, uh, we need to object. We need to object because uh, medical killing is, uh, is immoral. The unborn child is exactly that. It's a child. And if it's wrong to kill a 50-year-old because he or she gets in the way of your plans or it's wrong to kill a 20-year-old, or a 10-year-old, or a one-day-old, you know, it's wrong. And simply because, uh, you know, a child is on the uh, other side of the uh, uh, gateway to the womb uh, doesn't mean that they're any less human than the baby just born, or the 5-year-old, or the 10-year-old, or the 50-year-old. And so we need, we need to be very clear, you know, what exactly... Uh, is the issue of abortion about? Well, partly it's about what is the status of the occupant of the womb? And to say that that individual is anything less than an individual known by God and loved by God is to move away from Scripture and to move into uh, the arbitrary and the self-justification. You know, one of the more, uh, I think, uh, appointed uh, scriptures on this is, is from David in Psalm uh, 139. David uh, reflects on uh, his uh, creation, uh, and here's what he says. Uh, this is Psalm 139, 13 through 16. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And similarly, Jeremiah proclaims in the first chapter, speaking of his calling, he says, you know, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The occupant of the womb is known by God and loved by God. And because of that, 
we need to respect that. We need to love that uh, individual. Abortion ultimately uh, is the antithesis uh, of neighbor love. It's the opposite, right? Neighbor love demands that we respect the life of our neighbor and that we seek to protect it and to preserve it. Uh, abortion is uh, the complete opposite. Um, I know that one of the, uh, the arguments sometimes is, yeah, but what about in cases of, of rape or, or incest? Mm-hmm. Um, it, wouldn't it be justified in, in that case, even if given, if you, if you say, okay, it is, a, it is a person, it is a life, but this, this attack came against me, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't that justify it? Right. Uh, certainly that is, uh, is an issue that Christians need to, need to give very careful thought. And I would say the first thing that we need to do when we respond to uh, that situation or that question is we need to acknowledge, first of all, just the tragedy of the circumstance. Rape and incest, those are tragic uh, uh, situations. Uh, clearly, uh, they, they uh, involve uh, a complete negation of, of love of neighbor. Right. Right? And so uh, the victim is deserving of our uh, compassion. No question about it. And to the extent that the response of the church to situations like that uh, lacks compassion and sensitivity and concern and care, uh, I would say that we fail. And so, uh, you know, our, our response needs to uh, be measured with compassion, but it's compassion that's true compassion. And how do we know what compassion is? Uh, I say we, we look to God. You know, God ultimately defines what true compassion and what true love is. Aborting a child uh, that is uh, the product of rape or incest is not uh, an expression of true or genuine compassion. We may think it is. Our feelings may, may, may uh, argue uh, or move us in that direction, but it's not. And we know it's not true compassion because uh, we, uh, God never, uh, God never uh, promotes or requires uh, or asks us, uh, much to the contrary, that we do evil, that some good thing may, uh, may come about. And so abortion in the case of incest really is uh, applying an evil so that good may result, if you will. You know, the good of, you know, helping the mother just to get over it or uh, maybe even, you know, a a concern that, you know, well, what kind of circumstances the child going to live in. And so there may be, uh, you know, a number of concerns. But again, uh, we're not authorized. uh, in, In fact, we're prohibited from employing evil means even when we think good is going to result. And again, Paul is very clear uh, with that in, uh, in his letter to the, to the Romans. And so, uh, you know, just like your mom used to say, uh, two wrongs don't make a right. Mm. At least my mom used to say. I don't know if anybody else's mom ever did it, right? But uh, yeah, so two wrongs don't make a right. And so uh, the, uh, the better option is, number one, uh, to minister uh, to the victim in love and concern, to give support, uh, you know, uh, however is, is required, material, certainly spiritual, mm-hmm. physical. Uh, but then also I would say, uh, you know, to encourage uh, adoption. You know, adoption is a godly uh, undertaking. You know, to, to adopt a child uh, is in some ways to, uh, to give demonstration uh, to what God has done uh, in our uh, in our circumstance, God has adopted us not because we were deserving. He's adopted us into His family out of His great love, mm. uh, and so adoption kind of uh, pictures that. 
uh, adoption uh, specific to the issue of uh, abortion, uh, ad- adoption upholds the sanctity of human life. It says, you know what? The life of that child in the womb is valuable. It's valuable because God says it is, and so we are to preserve and to protect it. And so adoption uh, is a way of uh, preserving the life of that uh, child while at the same time uh, ministering to the needs of, uh, of the victim. I was thinking about while you, was, while you were saying that, and I can't remember the reference, um, but there's a, there's a passage in, in, uh, in the Bible that, that talks about when, uh, when someone kills uh, a mother, uh, a woman who is expecting, uh, who is pregnant, that according to God's law, that person is guilty of two homicides, um, which seems to certainly address that idea that in, in God's mind, and you made reference to the Jeremiah uh, passage and David's reference to it, uh, to imply that God certainly um, recognizes that life in the womb is just that, life in the womb. And so I guess, um, and, and there's certainly other areas to discuss even in, uh, in regards to abortion, and, and time won't allow us to go t- into any more of those today, but I guess the first thing has to be uh, coming to this place of recognizing either Either God is right or, or my feelings or those who ignore uh, God's word or whatever are right. Either there is life in the womb upon conception or there's not. And if, and if I can come to that conclusion and that decision, then no matter what the circumstances might be uh, that, uh, that brought about the pregnancy or the circumstances might be in a person's life, you know, financially or economically or emotionally or anything else, um, that's what you're saying, that the life is the life and, and destroying that life in order to try and make somebody else's better is not the, the model of, of neighbor love. No, that's simply uh, asking one to commit evil, you know, e- even in the name of good, and God never uh, blesses that. Um, I, like I said, I, I know we wouldn't, there's no way we could get to all of these questions today, uh, but we did want to at least begin to uh, lay some framework for uh, how we make decisions in the area, uh, particularly dealing uh, with life. And as we address that area, specifically dealing with abortion, uh, I know it can sometimes be a, a, a difficult uh, time or, or, or a, a area to approach in people's lives. But uh, the main thing that uh, I think that's important to people come away from here is to always remember that the great thing about God is that God is a God of grace and mercy and love. And, uh, and, and even in our mistakes, even in our sins, uh, even in our, our decisions that perhaps are based on anything but the Word of God, God is always there. And He says, my child, I love you. My grace is sufficient for you. I'll meet you where you are, and I'll take you to where I want you uh, to be and what is best for you if you'll simply release yourself to me. It's certainly a lot to think about, isn't it? These subjects aren't always easy to discuss, but hopefully today's discussion has helped us all gain a better understanding of the importance of thinking biblically when it comes to making decisions in life. It's clear from our discussion today that God's position on these very important issues is very different from most of the world's. But as followers of Jesus, our standards, values, and decisions must line up with the truth of God's Word. It also means reaching out and loving those who have made choices that are contrary to God's will and showing them God's love. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. 
Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.